Suicide is a delicate health issue, but when it comes to men who think about it, attempt it, or actually commit suicide, addressing the issue has unique challenges. Good morning, I'm Robin Shannon. This is Fordham Conversations. Through these fields of destruction Baptisms of fire I've witnessed your son Latest statistics report more women than men attempt suicide, but more men actually succeed at killing themselves, and that number's climbing. Today, my guest and I examine the issue of male suicide. I sit down with a woman, Jeanette Mason, who helplessly watched as her partner killed himself. I also talk with Fordham University professor Daniel Coleman. His research examines gender stereotypes and the link between masculinity and mental health. But first, we hear about a mental health campaign that tackles the somber issue of suicide with a humorous approach. Jared Heinemann is director of the Colorado Office of Suicide Prevention. His group partnered with others in developing the Man Therapy Mental Health and Suicide Prevention Campaign. Man Therapy is very specifically designed to reach and engage particularly the working-aged male population, so men approximately ages 25 to 64. It's specifically designed to reach that demographic because in the U.S., men in that age group carry the burden for suicide deaths nationally um, by a significant margin. And the reality is, is prior to man therapy, there were very few websites or resources that specifically targeted the working-age male population. Uh, and what makes it unique is we recognized that men are typically hesitant to reach out for and access professional mental health services. And historically, suicide prevention messages have encouraged, you know, ask for help, go seek a professional when you need support. Well, the reality is, is men don't do that. And so we needed to create something to kind of break down those barriers that men put up to thinking about their overall health and particularly to thinking about their mental health. Now, the Man Therapy site really takes a humorous look at a solemn subject. So what prompted your unorthodox approach to male suicide prevention? Some of our background research included some focus groups with professionals who work with men and ask them, hey, how do we resonate better with men on a topic like suicide prevention? And equally, or even more importantly, we also did eight in-depth interviews with men who had been suicidal at some point in their past and who are now thriving. We asked them essentially, what got you through the crisis and what resonates with you? What would resonate with you message-wise? Uh, and what we learned pretty quickly on is that everybody thought that using dark humor would help engage men. And we decided that we wanted to take the risk of using humor in what essentially is a suicide prevention project, which was uh, an intimidating and a little bit of a scary thing to do initially. But fortunately, we feel like we've found the right approach um, based on how men are engaging with the website and the response so far. And I have to say that the therapist on the Man Therapy website, his name is Rich Mahogany. Hello, I'm Dr. Rich Mahogany. Welcome to Man Therapy. I just would say that even if um, someone's not suffering with a, a mental health challenge, that the website itself is worth checking out specifically for Rich Mahogany. So please describe this therapist, so to speak. 
Yeah, so I uh, thank you. It really it's the the brilliant creation of Cactus Marketing Communications who is our uh, advertising partner. We urged Cactus early on to, you know, be as creative as they could and to really push the envelope and we decided that a great approach would be to create this kind of guy's guy who can engage men in what we call man speak in trying to provide education about essentially manning up and taking ownership of your mental health and doing what's necessary when you're in any type of crisis or before a crisis arises. And Rich Mahogany essentially walks you through his office, which is the website, um, and at all times does it using humor and using straight talk and being direct to get people through and engaged in the site. So through your research, you found out that men like humor and they and that's what geared you towards using, quote-unquote, manspeak. What is manspeak? Give me an example of what manspeak might be. Well, I mean, I think when you visit the website, you see it right away. So one of the other messages we heard from the people we did research with was that you need to initially take the mental health language out. And so we present a therapist who, you know, basically doesn't uh, come in and ask you to lay down on his couch. He talks to you, to the visitors, pretty directly by saying things like, Man therapy is a place where men can come to be men. So here, we won't be complaining, whining, or moping about. No, we'll be getting off our keisters and form-tackling feelings like anger, stress, sadness, substance abuse, and even suicidal thoughts head-on. Typically, males are about doing, not necessarily about talking. So we really try to engage it in how do you take ownership and action of your own wellness. Where did you find Rich Mahogany? Is he an actor? He is. He's an actor. We did a casting call in Denver and in Los Angeles, and it just turned out that he is an actor with a theater company in Denver. And he's sort of like Burt Reynolds-type drinking buddy. How did you determine that that was the look? Well, we initially thought, you know, who are funny guys um, and guys' guys that we can think of? So... The, the images that came to our mind were uh, Ron Swanson from the show uh, Parks and Recreation. That's the other person. When I first yeah. saw him, that's exactly who I thought he reminded me of, Ron Swanson from Parks and Recreation. Yeah, so a mix of Ron Swanson and a mix of Ron Burgundy. Uh, <laughs> you know, and, and Burt Reynolds is a good one as well. So we were kind of thinking, you know, who's a manly man, but also is an educated guy and a guy who can kind of tell you like it is. Right. So once you got the website up and running, how did you promote the Man Therapy website, Jared? Promotion was almost exclusively grassroots. We got a a small amount of additional funding to run some billboards and bus shelter posters in the Denver metro area. Everything else, when we did all of the filming for the website video, we also that very same day did a 30-second television spot uh, knowing we didn't have money to purchase media, but knowing we wanted to send it out as a public service announcement. And we were fortunate that a lot of uh, TV stations picked up that 30-second PSA and ran it, and they ran it really all over the country. We also created a variety of versions of posters. We developed some drink coasters for bars and restaurants and places like that. And we developed a rich mahogany business card. Um, so that's what's been amazing is the amount of visitors we've generated with zero media purchasing dollars. And you even had some advertising like in urinals. Yes, yes. So the posters, our goal with the posters is some of the posters are, you know, probably best suited for bathrooms. 
Can you tell me what some of the phrases that you guys yeah, use? Yeah, so the, the bathroom-specific ones were, uh, one is a poster that says, give your mind as much attention as you give your penis. <laughs> and another one is pooping, a man's way of meditating. <laughs> Love and it. So, you know, again, this is a, a mental health suicide prevention campaign, and we're you know, really trying to push the envelope. Jared, throughout the website, explain to me how the website maneuvers. Like the first page we know is the introduction page. Where can you go from there? Yes, so it's a completely video-driven website, and we designed it so that it, the entire website takes place in Dr. Mahogany's office. So the first wall, you know, four-walled office, the first wall is that introductory page where you have information and access to all of the other walls and tabs. So in there, there's a link to the 18-point head inspection, which is a self-assessment for depression and suicide, anxiety, anger, and substance use. Uh, you also just get background information about the site. And so when you want another wall is what we call our man therapies. We created a variety of different levels of therapies, one of which is called one-on-none therapies. And these are just real basic tips that men can do to get themselves moving. You know, so if you're stuck in a rut, we just give a bunch of examples of things you can do right now today to get yourself kind of uh, off your rear and moving in the right direction. Yoga isn't just for yuppies anymore. In fact, in Sri Lanka, it's the manliest way to relieve stress and depression. Also in there is what we've called group therapy. It links out to a blog where men can connect and ask questions and have basically a forum. Competitive therapy, currently where men can find information about resources in their community to get them engaged in their community. And then finally, we have professional therapy where, you know, if you need, if you have a brain disorder that you can't just fix on your own, the message is, hey, you got to really have the courage to go seek professional help. And so the third wall is what we call our tales of triumph and victory. These with, on that wall are videos of many of the men who are in-depth interviews. So these are guys, real guys, who have struggled with suicidality and depression and who are now at a point in their lives where they're thriving and it just tells their stories. Um, so that's a, that's a more serious section of the website because these guys are telling real stories. Yeah, I noticed the then, tone changed just a little bit when I was looking at some of these, but they really do a good job of portraying men who are really struggling with various mental health challenges. Did you say these men were picked before the site was launched? Most of them were picked before the site was launched. And so one of our next steps with the website is to make that video library much, much bigger so there's examples of real guys that you can search by, you know. So if you're a college student, you can search by that. Or if you're a retired veteran, you can search by that and find stories of guys who are like you. Um, at this point, there's only 10 or so videos in there, and we want to make that much bigger. So you are continuously so that, working on that? Absolutely. And then finally, the last wall of the website is an informational wall, you know, information about mental health, frequently asked questions, things like that to just really provide information. And Jared, referring to that frequently asked questions, you guys titled it Answers to Almost All Myths, Legends, and General Nonsense Men Believe About Mental Health Issue. So what are some of these myths? Well, this notion, um, for example, that therapy is for women, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. this, this misperception that um, therapy is something that, that women or weak people engage in. Uh, and that's one of the overarching goals of the website is to really change 
the conversation that stereotypical males have, or I don't know how, what to really call them, manly men have about the concept of mental health because that's one of the things that we believe strongly and that research supports keeps men from accessing available services because they don't think it's for them or they don't think they need it or they think they can fix their problems on their own without any support or, or help. I think it's a sign of weakness when it's not. Absolutely. And so we're really trying to change that social norm within Colorado and within the U.S. Are you planning on expanding the area for loved ones of men who are suffering from these mental illness challenges? Are you planning on expanding an on-the-man therapy website? Yeah, absolutely. So the worried about someone section is included in there now because we know that for a lot of men, the person who will get them over the hump to taking care of themselves or to accessing professional services is very often uh, a female in their life. And so we that's that's definitely another section of the website that we have a vision to make it much more broad as far as giving resources to folks to share with men that they're concerned about. Thank you so much, Jared. It's my absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for talking about Man Therapy. The Man Therapy campaign has been so successful, an Australian version has been launched. This is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. I'm Robin Shannon. Up next, Jeanette Mason and I sit down in her Hell's Kitchen apartment where her longtime partner, who was in advertising and suffered with bipolar disorder, ended his life. He was in crisis. He'd quit his job in advertising. It was New Year's Day, which is significant in suicides. And he was in a court battle with his ex. They were in a bitter, bitter divorce. So we were out at that big glass dining room table, and we were talking about money. And when we'd met, he was making a lot of money. I was still struggling. Now he quit the job. He said, I can't go in and create every day when all of my money is going elsewhere. I just can't do that. And I said, fine, whatever, I don't care. I've never been interested in a guy's money. I'm only interested in my own. <laughs> so he was spending a lot of money because he was a true bipolar. His mania was out of control. And a psychiatrist had put him on the wrong medication that was taken off the market that year, too late for Don. And I said, listen, you've got to stop spending all this money, you know, you're buying $500 shoes, I'm working around in $50 shoes, come on. And uh, I said, I'm cutting you off, and I think until your bipolar illness gets settled, I'd like you to move into the spare bedroom, because I'm unwittingly the trigger just by virtue of being here. And he said, you're throwing me out. I said, oh, God, I never throw you out. You're my family. You're my flesh and blood. No, that's not going to happen. He got up from the table and went to the spare bedroom, which he used kind of like an office, and when he'd get into a rage, he'd go in there, slam the door, and I'd leave him alone. There was something different about this, and I went to the door. Uh, he said, I, I know you're going to throw me out, and I said, Don, I'd never do that. Come on, dear, for every problem there's a solution. And he was rifling through the file cabinet. I didn't realize he was looking for all suicide letters that were in there. And he said, and I have the solution for this. And he whirled around, and I saw the devil in his eyes. 
and he came flying past me so fast, Robin, that I was thrown up against the wall here. I get chills thinking about it. And put, God, Maria Callas, poor Maria Callas, on the stereo. And she became, as I write, his unwitting backup singer to this horror. So here was Maria Callas singing her tragic song. And I came rushing here. I had no idea why. I didn't even have time to think, why was he running indoors? He crossed, what is that, 25 feet? To the open French door, the pièce de résistance of the apartment, and stood, I'll never know how he got his broad athletic shoulders. He was a, not a tall man, but he had big shoulders, and how he got them there, I don't know. And he stood there, and suddenly, leaned forward, and he was a swimmer, we were both athletes, and opened his arms and sailed straight out in a swan dive out onto 55th Street. I began a scream that I didn't even hear that could not stop. And I don't know how I got, there was only a landline then in the living room. Somehow or other I got through this wall to the living room and I was screaming to 911. And of course, the 911 operator kept saying, calm down, I can't understand you. Well, she had to get me to calm down because she could, I had no idea. Ran out into the hallway and as I got out there, I noticed that the walls were moving in and out on the floor. I was in a profound state of shock. And of course, the first thing that suicide survivors do, particularly those closest to the suicide, is we blame ourselves. When it's not rational, but we do. It's an attempt to rewrite history. What was it like to have this in your head? What did you think at the time? I should have done blank. Well, I wasn't thinking anything yet. Yeah. I w oh, no. I was. So why don't you do this? Why don't you tell me what it was like the morning after you woke up? The I, didn't, after? I didn't sleep then. No? Oh, no. What advice do you have right now for someone out there who has lost a husband, a brother, a son, an uncle, a father to suicide? Reach out. Reach out to somebody. Get See if you can talk to somebody who understands the very strange place you've been propelled to, because I don't think most people do. I was very lucky. I found a guy, I think he's still around, Ed Dunn. His brother, as a teenager, jumped in front of a train on Long Island. So Ed became a therapist, and one of his specialties is helping suicide survivors. So I went to see Ed for a while, and it was wonderful, because I sat in a room. I was able to speak to someone who knew of what I spoke. Nothing I said shocked him. And it was very healing just to be in the presence of somebody who could say, oh, yes, of course, and then blah, blah, blah. I want to thank you so much for sharing your story, Jeanette. You're a delight. My God, we'll have to have lunch. We'll have to become friends. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Currently, Jeanette Mason is writing a combination memoir self-help book. She also operates a suicide prevention hotline. Eleanor Ringley died in the church and was buried alone. Lastly, I speak to Fordham University professor Daniel Coleman. His research examines the link between masculinity and mental health. 
My research is in the area of trying to understand the high prevalence of male suicide. Uh, men account for 80% of suicide deaths, which isn't a very recognized fact. And uh, along with some colleagues, we developed a theoretical model that suggested that high traditional masculinity may be one of the contributors to disproportionate amount of male suicide deaths. Now, what do you mean by traditional masculine ideals? So this construct is, is talking about those things that we think of as like stereotypically macho, like excessive independence, uh, low awareness of emotions and the importance of emotions, high emphasis on winning, competition, dominance, relatively little flexibility in uh, coping style. Is there a reason that you can think of that traditional masculine roles are now a contributing factor to male suicide? Um, actually, it's probably been a long-standing relationship, is, is my bet, that those features of male roles are not new, um, have been around for a long time, probably were a vulnerability to suicide in the past as well. So it's probably just the idea now that there's more research focused on the reasoning for male suicide, which is why it's becoming prevalent? This is true, yes. Um, you know, for a long time, it's been an under-researched area and maybe something because of denial and stigma people didn't really want to look at too closely. Professor Coleman, can you sum up what your research has found? Sure. Um, it's really at a very preliminary stage. The uh, preliminary results are research that looks at suicidal ideation, not suicide death. Can you define uh, ideation? Sure. So, I mean, ideation is thinking about suicide. And so we have a lot more data on the prevalence of people's thoughts about suicide because you can collect that from, you know, living people. Uh, and it's hard to predict who's going to end their life by suicide, so we don't know who to study. So it's harder to do actual research on suicide itself. So how did you go about getting this uh, research up and going? Okay, well, the, um, the preliminary results I have are from an existing data set. So another researcher collected the data who, whose primary interest wasn't suicide or masculinity. And uh, what we did find was that high traditional masculinity was a risk factor for more suicidal thoughts, uh, even beyond the effects of uh, depression, substance abuse, trauma. Those are all existing, well-established risk factors. So traditional masculinity was more of an issue than even depression? It was, uh, depression was actually a little bit stronger, but it was traditional masculinity was the second strongest risk factor of all the variables that we had in the data after depression. Professor Coleman, has your research uncovered any surprises? Uh, yes, actually, um, in the theoretical work I did with colleagues getting ready to, to do this analysis, we were primarily interested in male suicide, obviously. But the sample we had was both men and women, and we expected that traditional masculinity would be a stronger risk factor amongst men than it was amongst women. But it turns out that it's actually similar effect across both genders, so that women who are higher on traditional masculinity also had 
more suicidal thoughts. Uh, okay, I'm a little confused. Okay. Women who are... Explain it to me like I'm a three-year-old. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so gender roles, you know, um, men and women all have a balance of male and female, like sort of socially defined traits. So women will also vary in terms of how masculine they are. Um, so in our data, we found that women who were more traditionally masculine also uh, had higher suicidal thoughts, just like men who were more traditionally masculine. What do you think accounts for that? Well, I think it's interesting. Um, this is one of the surprising results that made me think about the fluidity of gender roles and how these social constructs have effects, you know, no matter what uh, your physical sex is, if you're male or female. So it's um, another new interest that has come out of this current data analysis is uh, looking at gender role orientation in women and how that might influence suicidal behavior. The way I see it is, okay, if a man is traditionally the head of the household, and he can't, for whatever reason, get a job, support his family, that can trigger feelings of suicidal tendencies? Am I correct with that? Or Sure, and that's, that's like a second part of our research I'm currently doing is that, so one, we hypothesized or theorized that traditional masculinity was a risk factor for suicide. But then we said, especially under conditions of stress. So this example you're talking about is a classic one of unemployment, uh, thwarted ambitions, um, and that more traditionally masculine participants would have more suicidal ideation under those conditions. That there might be triggers of depression or sadness um, because of their role. You're saying traditional masculine ideals are the root cause? It's kind of a combination. Um, so you're, you have your traditionally masculine person who's just going through life, everything's going fine. And so they are you know, not thinking about suicide, not depressed, um, but they have a vulnerability that they're carrying with them, this traditional masculinity, which is this rigid way of thinking uh, that doesn't leave them many options when they are stressed. So when they experience a stressor, then they may suddenly develop a very severe depression and have thoughts about suicide. Because a male has an idea about what a man is, quote-unquote, is your research saying that that itself can lead to suicidal tendencies without some of these other factors? Yes. Now explain that to me, because that's what I'm struggling with, so help me understand that part. One thing is you have to think about not just a single person, but, you know, maybe... 5,000 people, and that across those 5,000 people, there's variability in how traditionally masculine they are. Our preliminary research supports it, that the more traditionally masculine participants were more likely to have suicidal ideation. Out of the, let's make it a shorter, a smaller amount of people, because 5,000 is too big a number for me to comprehend. So let's say, can we say 10, just hypothetically speaking, 10 men have these masculine traits then there's a chance that all 10 men will have suicidal tendencies, sort of like a DNA matchup, like some people, you know, can be alcoholics because of their DNA. Is it right. something like that? Yes, but, and so that's a good example. I actually thought about maybe um, 
using the genetics okay. analogy because, like, say somebody carries a gene that increases their risk of alcoholism um, that's passed down through their family. So one person may be in an environment where, you know, say they grow up in a very religious setting where alcohol use is completely not culturally acceptable. So that person will probably never develop alcoholism if they never start drinking, uh, even though they may carry a very strong genetic risk for it. So that's the thing about the risk versus environment interaction, and that's a similar thing that we have with traditional masculinity. That So there's this predisposition, and then there's probably a whole range of environmental triggers that may uh, be associated with it as well. That I better understand. Thank you. Okay, that makes sense now. So they're basically um, predisposed to it, but it doesn't mean depend. It doesn't mean they they actually have to commit suicide or they want to commit suicide. No, there are other factors that could stimulate this predisposition. Right, and that's a really good point too. Just about where it's all about probability. So somebody who is highly traditionally masculine may have an increased probability of suicidal thoughts. But in every case, that's not going to be true. So, you know, we all will know some highly traditionally masculine men who never, you know, may never think of suicide. Uh, and that doesn't rule, make the, the research wrong. It's uh, just that there's variability across people who have that trait. And that's just going to be more probable amongst those who have the high traditional masculinity. Professor Coleman, thank you very much for your time. Well, thank you. So please forgive what I have done. No, you can't stay mad at the setting sun. Cause we all get tired. I mean, eventually, there is nothing left to do but sleep. I'd like to thank all my guests, along with my producer, Alan Canlick. Keep it here. George Bodarki and Cityscaper next. For Fordham Conversations, I'm Robin Shannon.